Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good. All right. So I noticed we have a brand new member of our church this morning. Did you all catch her? Anthea. Yay, she's back there. Yay. <laughs> yeah, we can't wait for the dedication. We're ready. Anytime you are. <laughs> Robert and I were sitting up front just, just as Izzy was about to get started, and we're like, okay, church is not going to happen unless we just get Anthea up here up front. That, that way we'll get you all up here for church service. Right? But aren't kids a blessing? They're such a blessing. I love all the children in our church. It's so awesome to see them running around and throwing balls around down the stairwell and all of that. I love it. <laughs> so speaking of children, the image I want you to have in your mind this morning as we go through this chapter of Isaiah is think of a, like a four-year-old little child who looks up at their parents and puts their fist on their hips and say, Mom and Dad, it's my way or the highway, right? And what, does a, what would the typical parent do once they stop laughing, right? They'd probably give them time out, maybe a little discipline, a little, little, little correction on exactly who, who's in charge, right? But as it turns out, and as we've been seeing all the way through Isaiah, the people of God, the children of God, Judah, Israel, that's exactly, in a word, what they've been saying to God, right? It's, they've been saying, look, we want our idols, and we want to have them too. You know, we want our sin, and I want to eat it too. I want what I want when I want it. I want it my way. And if you're going to try to discipline me, guess what? I'm going to, I'm going to just do it anyway. I'm going to, and, and, and I'll come up with my own plan, right? And it's not that overt. We never, they never express it that directly just like a child would never literally say what I just said, but they say it in all their behavior, right? A little child is gonna take his carefully crafted bowl of oatmeal that mom has made and put little extra little cinnamon and made it all pretty and beautiful for that little child, and that little child is gonna do what with it? You know, throw it on the floor, maybe throw some at his brother and sister, and then mom and dad come over to try to correct it, right? You might even throw it at mom and dad. And that, that's what we can do with God. That's what the children of Israel are doing, and that's what oftentimes we can do with God, but we do it in very sophisticated, subtle ways, do we not? So that's where we're going this morning. That's what, what Judah is up against, and I think oftentimes that's what we're up against. But fortunately, God has a better way. He has a solution for us. So let's go, and let's pray. Let's start with praying. Lord, I just thank you so much for your patient love. God, you are so much and so beyond the most patient parent who's willing to continue to seek us out, even when we are stubborn and willful and we want our own way, God, you continue to seek us out. You discipline us in love, as Mike just prayed, Father, and you desire for us to turn to you, to turn to life, to turn to blessing, Father, and away from destruction. So, Lord, Father, there are subtle little ways, God, that we are holding out on you this morning. There are things in our lives, God, that we just want to have because we think we know better. Lord, I pray that you reveal that to us this morning, that you would empower us to turn to you and to seek you, Father, and to let those things go, trusting you for all of our joy, all of our fullness, all of our blessing, and all of our hope. In your son's name, amen. All right, so Isaiah 30. Y'all there? You ready? 
Got your pens? A little toasty? I feel like this is classic Southern Baptist Sunday morning church, right? When it's hot, people got, you got your fans, your, all we need is you guys to participate a little bit, you know, be like those Southern Baptists and say, amen, brother, and, and there you go, just like that. I like it. And you, you see me struggling, you'll just say, help him, brother, help him, God, help him. I love it. Can we, have, can, we, can we have some of that, Robert? Is that okay? All right. All right. I'm, you know, I got great hopes for you all. Don't be all, you know, yeah, I won't, I won't, I'm not, okay, let's go to Isaiah 30. How about that? Isaiah 30, ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord. I mean, we could spend all morning just on that one sentence, right? I mean, there is so much passion and desire and love and care and concern in that one simple statement of the Lord. The Lord's saying, ah, stubborn children. Have you ever said that to your kids? Or said that to someone that you care about? It's like, oh, why are you doing that to yourselves? I think of Jesus when he said he's confronting the Pharisees. He's confronting the leadership of Israel in the days of, of Jesus. And he finally says, ah, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you would not. Right? That's the heart of God. That's the heart of the God we serve. He's like, ah, oh, don't you know how much this thing is wounding you? And not only you, but all those around you, all those that are affected by you. Don't you realize the pain that you're causing now in this moment and that you're going to cause going forward? Do you not see it? Please open, open your eyes. Ah, oh, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Notice that they're adding sin to sin. What does he mean, adding sin to sin? What, what he's saying is, look, not only do you have your own idols, you just want to have it your way, you want to have your own pleasure when you, want it, when you have it, rather than looking for pleasure and all the gifts that I give you and understanding that they come directly from my hand and taking them in their time from my hand. Instead, you just want it when you want it. You know, you want to have the popcorn instead of waiting for the filet mignon, right? So often, is that not us? And God's saying, well, that's a sin. But then you add sin to sin because when I come to discipline you for your good and, and from love, and I say, oh, stubborn child, this is hurting you. This is wrong for you. Instead of saying, oh, God, you're right. You love me. I get it. Let me help me. I repent. Help me move away from this thing. Instead of doing that, we come up with a, a new plan and a whole other plan to avoid God's discipline, right? Just like the child who then, when mom comes and is going to give them time out, you know, or maybe a paddle, instead of going, instead of like breaking, instead they just get stronger and throw the food right in their face, right? That's adding sin to sin. As God confronts us, as he woos us, as he challenges us, as he disciplines us, we just keep pushing it, pushing it back, you know? How do they do that? How is it that they're pushing back with the Lord? Verse 2, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Do we not often do that? When we're up against it and things are going bad, maybe even the discipline of the Lord is coming on us, and it's like, what do I do? We panic. 
we, we just, oh, what, you know, and we just jump to the first thing that might help or might work, and we don't think about where the Lord's at. We don't think about what the Lord would have, would say, what the Lord's plan would be. We just react, right? Outer either an abundance of hubris, right, or just all that. I can, all, I can do all things through myself who strengthens myself, right? That's one side of the coin. The flip side of the same coin is, oh my gosh, panic, freak out, oh my, I'm going to be wiped out, you know, who's going to save me? Only I can save me. You know, I'm so fearful and stressed and scared because it's all, all up to me. This is not a great location for me. Anyway, <laughs> if I want your attention, I'll just stop. It's the same side of the same coin. It's basically self-reliance. It's either I can do this myself or it's I can't do this and nobody else is going to help me. Oh, my gosh. Freak out, right? We, we've been hearing about and seeing lately a lot of scam artists. And what, what's the technique, what's the tool that scam artists use to get you to do stuff that in your right mind you would never do? They use fear. They call you up and say, hey, Donna was just sharing with me one lately where this scam artist called this person and said, hey, uh, turns out there's a warrant out for your arrest. Actually, the police are on the way to your house to arrest you. It appears to be some sort of informational issue, cut, you know, snag. So we just need to get this cleared up. We need to know your social security and whatever, ask for all this information. I don't know the, the details. I just got general guess the story. Well, it turns out what, who, the person the scam artist called was an on-duty police sergeant. <laughs> so he didn't get very far. But the point is, what's the strategy, the tool, the technique is to freak people out so that they panic and run to the bank and pull money out of it or they tell them, oh, well, here's my information, right? And that's exactly what the enemy will do to us. So here is Judah. They are under the discipline of the Lord. Isaiah the prophet saying, look, you guys are in big trouble, and God is going to use Assyria and Babylon to discipline you. And they're going, okay, well, if he's going to do that, then we're going to go down to Egypt. Egypt will save us. Egypt's strong and powerful, you know? That my savings account is strong and powerful. Not that you shouldn't have a savings account, right? My... What you fill in the blank, you know, what's your idol? What's the thing that you count on more than God, right? What's the source of your peace and joy and confidence and security apart from God? Lots of things are good things. They're gifts from the Father. But do you understand that they come from the Father and that ultimately you're depending on the Father? Judah's not. And in those times of extreme hubris or those times of extreme fear, we often forget that, hey, God loves us. He has all things in hand. We can trust him. We can depend on him, right? And so they're panicking. They're freaking out, and they're going, we're going to go to Egypt. Egypt will save us. They'll be our savior, our salvation. So what does God say? Verse C, therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter and the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. For though his officials are at zone and his envoys reach Hanes, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. An oracle on the beasts of the Negev through a land of trouble and anguish, from where come the lions and the lion and the adder and the flying fiery serpent, they carry their riches on the back of donkeys, their treasures on the humps of camels, to a people that cannot profit them. Egypt, catch this, I love this line, this is so sarcastic. 
and I'm kind of sarcastic, so I love it. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore, I called her Rahab who sits. Egypt is like, it's promotion, it's Egypt's media is, hey, we are the superpower of the Mediterranean, man. We've got the, we've got the aircraft carriers, we've got the tanks, we, we're dominating. But then when it push comes to stuff, they're useless. They just sit there and don't do anything. It's kind of, there's some allusion here to the kind of the alligators in the Nile River, who most of the time they just sit there and look ferocious but don't do a single thing. Right? That's kind of the, a little bit of the imagery here. So, they're, so Israel's looking to them to help them and save them from the discipline that the Lord's bringing on them. And God's saying, they're, they're no help to you. In fact, when you go to the world and rely on the world apart from me, it ultimately will result in your shame and your humiliation. And it's a bit ironic because oftentimes, what are we trying to avoid? We're trying to avoid shame and humiliation, right? When we have an issue, when we've blown it, we've been, we've been serving some idol and it's not going well, what do we feel? Oftentimes we feel shame, we feel guilty. We feel like, oh man, I hope this isn't exposed. I hope no one finds out about this because it's just, I'm so embarrassed by it. And then when we try to fix it ourselves, and we try to find help apart from God, all it does is spin it up into greater and greater shame and humiliation and it goes from maybe a smaller private thing to this big public massive thing, right? Also notice this line about these beasts of burden carrying all this wealth. Israel is investing their wealth, the wealth that God has provided to them by sending it on these donkeys to Egypt to try to buy Egypt's protection, right? It's a racket, right? It's the, it's the ancient world mob racket, right? Protection racket. So they're going to try to buy protection from Egypt, and they're taking the wealth that God has provided for them and then trying to use it to get help apart from God, which is the ultimate little kid slap in the parent's face, right? That's like spitting in the face of God. Look, I've provided for you. I've given you salvation. I'm offering you salvation if you don't already have it. And And I desire for you to choose me but in this area, you're not choosing me. You need to repent and confess it. And we go, no, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to confess it. In fact, if you try to discipline me, I'm going to just leave the church. Right? That's just slapping God's face. It's a slap across his, who he is and his love and passion for you, for me. Right? So that's where Israel's going. That's the problem. That's the stubborn child. And I, hopefully, I think you can see that in certain ways, not completely, it's all not black and white, all or nothing, but in ways, we are stubborn children, are we not? And I, I challenge you and I encourage you to think about, okay, Lord, where am I being stubborn? Where am I choosing my way instead of your way? And by the way, that life, choosing that path, is exhausting. It is just exhausting. And it leads to all kinds of horrific things that we're going to get into right now in verse 8. So here's the consequences of being a stubborn child before the Lord. And now go, write it before them on a tablet, and ascribe it in a book, that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. So God's saying, look, you want to you want to try to hide from me? You want to try to hide your shame? You know, you want to try to hide the fact that you're going to be disciplined by 
me through Assyria and Babylon, guess what? I'm going to record this, and it's going to be written on a tablet, and it's going to be there forever. And here we are 2,500 years later talking about it, right? So this has is, this is come to pass in your hearing right there. Prophetic fulfillment right in this moment. <laughs> right? So they could have repented and turned to the Lord, and we wouldn't be reading about it right now. You could have repented and turned to the Lord, and all of this fallout wouldn't have happened. Right? That's the point. That's the message. Nine, for they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, leave the way, leave the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. This is the children of God the people that God has chosen to reveal himself to. The core mission of Israel is to be the recipients of God's revelation and to display that to the world. That's the core mission God has called them to. And what are they saying? We don't want that mission, right? We don't want it, Lord. Don't, prophets, don't tell us the truth. Don't tell us what's really going on right? Don't tell, and here's the ultimate slap on the face, don't tell us about the Holy One of Israel. We don't want to know about it. Has there been a time in your life, maybe there's a time, maybe it's a time right now where it's like, I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about the Lord. I don't want to know about the Lord, right? I just want my own way because this relationship's too important to me. This thing is too important to me. This type of activity is too important to me, right? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the truth. I want to hear what's, this language is so powerful. I want to hear what is smooth and illusionary, right? What is soft, what is easy. Don't stir me up in truth and love. Don't challenge me. Just tell me what I want to hear. Make it soft and easy. To, what is, the, is that not the primary mission of this world? To get you to buy stuff, right? This is the marketing director's guide to success right here. Is it not? Every commercial tells you smooth, illusionary things that say, look, if you just take that last nickel that God has provided for you and put yourself in debt for the next 15 years and buy this amazing vehicle, you will be blessed and fulfilled for eternity. Is that not it? Is that not every single commercial you'll see? And you'll go, oh, come on, John, it's a little bit extreme. They spend billions of dollars on those commercials. Why do they do that? Because we want to hear smooth, illusionary things that make us feel good and powerful and blessed. And the irony is God wants us to feel good, feel his power, and feel his blessing. But we don't want it from him because it comes with truth and discipline. And he wants to change our character and make us into a new, continue to build us up into his image, right? But that's hard, that's painful, that hurts. We don't want that. So instead, we run off to Egypt. We run off to the world in whatever shape or form it takes. Verse 12, therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them. Isn't that interesting? No one would say out loud, I trust in oppression and perverseness. But that's really what you're saying when you're trusting in the world apart from God. 
You're saying, I trust the perverse world more than I trust a holy God. And that's where they're at. I mean, they've gone far down the road, my way. They've gone a long ways down my way. We don't want to hear from you, Lord. I'd rather trust in what's perverse and oppressive. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant, and its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of the cistern. So this is what happens. When the Lord is lovingly trying to direct us, trying to lead us down the paths of righteousness into life, greater and greater life and blessing, and we resist that, and we rebel against that, and then he tries to correct us and brings discipline into our life, brings a little more pain into our life to help try to correct it and shift our path, and we continue to resist it, we continue to resist it. It's like a wall that is as off plumb, and it's gravity and the earth behind it is gradually, very slowly and imperceptibly beginning to bulge out. And over time, it just slowly and gradually bulges more and more and more and more and more until it hits that point of no return where the fatigue and the stresses get so much, it just one little piece of it snaps and the whole thing goes down. And here's the point in this. The point is God is patient with us. He puts up with a lot from us. And he desires for us to repent. But as we continue to resist him and rebel against him gradually, slowly, he is putting more and more pressure on us, more and more discipline on us. And we think, well, you know, the wall's still there, the wall's still standing, nothing really terrible has happened yet. I'm good, I'm fine, God will just deal with it. It's okay, everybody struggles in this area. You know, nobody knows about it. It's not gonna hurt anybody if nobody knows about it, right? I just have this little area in my life, no big deal. God will just deal with that. I'm forgiven, right? I'll go to heaven anyway. I got my fire insurance. No worries. God said, uh-uh, I, I want more for you. And I'm going to gradually, slowly put more and more and more pressure on you. But here's the catch. When it breaks, it breaks. No wall just, you don't have a wall that's under a lot of stress and is about to fail and just one brick falls off of it. The whole thing just goes, right? Engineers call it a catastrophic failure, right? When a bridge has a catastrophic failure, what happens? Not a little piece of railing falls off, the whole thing just collapses, right? And that's how things tend to work when they're under too much strain. And are you under too much strain this morning because you're resisting the Lord? I'm here this morning, the Word here is this morning, the Lord is here this morning to say, one day this is gonna break. And when it breaks, there's not going to be anything useful left from it. That's the difference between respecting and responding to God's discipline. It still hurts. It's painful. But so much usefulness comes out of it. But when you resist God and resist God and resist God and resist God, and finally the dam breaks, there's nothing but destruction for you and the people around you. And we see this play out all the time in the media, right? When some kid, some 14-year-old gets an assault rifle and goes and shoots up a school, the standard interview after that event, right? They go interview the friends and neighbors, and what does everybody say? Oh, he was you know, a quiet kid. He was kind of strange, but quiet, no 
to no obvious big problem. It's just, but then if they dig deeper, they look at his social media, they look at what he's writing, what he's reading, all of a sudden you see all this history, this dark history of all this stuff building up. But nobody notices it, nobody really sees it, nobody's concerned until the dam breaks. And the dam breaks, all of a sudden you've got a bunch of primary school kids all shot up, you know? And that's why this is not just, you know, academic exercise that we do here Sunday morning. This has real consequences for our lives. So if the Lord is speaking to you about an issue and you feel like you're just digging your heels in and saying, I'm, I'm good, I'm all that, or I'm freaked out, I don't know what to do, let me go run and get, you know, to some, to another church that will tell me what I want to hear, you know. If you're up against that, understand that the Lord is saying, look, repent. There's another way. There's a better path. And if you don't repent, we're talking destruction here. Ultimately, and we're talking destruction up to and including death. That was our line at work, right? When you're under discipline at work, you all sign the piece of paper. Anybody here been under discipline at work? Sign the piece of paper. It says, you know, if you continue in this way, there'll be further disciplinary action including and up to your termination, right? Well, God has the same sort of paperwork, including and up to your termination on this planet, okay? There's a proverb in the, you'll see in the bulletin, it, that says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it just leads to death. And when we're in that place, we're in that place of rebellion and stubbornness, we can't see clearly the truth, and it seems like we're in the right. We convince ourselves that we're in the right. But the reality is, is we're just being stubborn little kids that need, that need to repent. Amen? That's your cue. You can say amen. That's Southern Baptist amen. <laughs> All right, so what's the solution? Where do we go from here? Let's jump to verse 18 if we're not there already. Hey, let's hit these verses real quick. Verse 15, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. Now here, already, here's the solution. Here's, here's the first hint of solution. In returning and rest. Notice he says rest. Look, when you're running from God, you are not resting. When you're stubborn and rebellious against the Lord, you will find no rest. You want to have a rest, a deep rest? then return to the Lord and you will be saved. And quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling and you said, no, we will flee upon horses, therefore you shall flee away. And we will ride upon swift steeds, therefore your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on the hill. So what he's saying here and what the children of Israel say, we're going to flee on horses. It doesn't mean that we're going to run away on horses. What it means is we're going to Egypt. We're going to get their big, powerful horses. We're going to get their big, powerful chariots. We're going to have these big war horses. And we're going to go charging into the enemy and wipe them out. That's what we're going to do because we're tough. We're Israelites. We're men. We can take them, right? So it's, it's, we're going to move because see that God's answer to that is, yeah, you want to be tough and strong and and charging the enemy, guess what? Those fast, strong, powerful horses are going to flee you away. It's just the opposite. It's kind of a play on words, and it's the opposite of what they claim they think they're going to do. 
and we will ride upon swift steeds, therefore your pursuers shall be swept. You think you're going to be quick on these big war horses? Your pursuers are going to be even quicker and even more powerful because I'm the one ultimately who's disciplining you right now, and you're not going to run away from me. You, can't, you can run, but you can't hide, and you can't outrun me. Okay, That's what the Lord's saying to them. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, a threat of five you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of the mountain, like a signal on a hill. And it's interesting because, I mean, what do we want ultimately? Do we not want fellowship and communion and connection with other people and with things that are good and powerful and pleasurable? Do we not want that? Of course we do. That's what God created us for. And of course, he's the answer to all those. But when we resist him, when we rebel against him, and we come up with our own strategy to stay in our rebellion, we wind up alone and isolated outside of fellowship. And it's exposed to everybody. So you stand alone on a hill to be exposed in your rebellion rather than coming into the fellowship and communion of God and his people. That's the contrast that God's playing off there. So how about we not do that, yeah? Anybody in agreement? Let's maybe just repent and follow the Lord instead. How do we do that? What's the solution? Verse 18, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. This is huge right here. God is ready and willing. He is right there. The moment, the instant we're willing to turn, the instant we're willing to just turn to him, he is right there, not to put us down, not to cut us down, not to say, okay, now you're really going to, I'm going to beat you until there's nothing left of you now that you finally have, have owned up to what you've done wrong. It's, no, not at all. What does he do? What does he extend? He extends mercy and grace. And it's interesting that it says, therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He's waiting for us to wait on him, to turn to him, to wait on his favor, his empowerment, his salvation. And the moment we do, he's ready right there to extend grace and mercy, right? Something the world will never extend to us apart from God. 19, for our people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. Okay, this is salvation. This is the gospel, okay? And there's three really key elements here. And what's key is not only what the elements are, but the order and the sequence that they follow, okay? And you'll see on the board, I've numbered them, purposely numbered them, because the order is just as important as the step itself. So the first step is what? Turn to God. He is so quick to extend mercy and grace. Just turn to him. No matter how bad it's gotten, no matter how embarrassing the situation is, no matter how much destruction it is, and even no matter how much there might be consequences if the truth of all this whole thing comes out, 
you know what? Your only salvation is to turn to him. And he is quick to extend you mercy. You need to do that first, right? It's key that you turn to God first. It all depends on him. He is the pivot point. Okay, number two, once you turn to him, everything is just going to be perfect, right? Everything will be easy. Life will be grand. You'll have your big car, three-car garage. Everything's perfect, right? Isn't that the gospel? Anybody? No? No, 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 no. No, he says instead, as you have adversity or because you have, ad- or because you have adversity or as you are in adversity, I'm going to be right there with you and I'm going to be your teacher. I'm going to be with you. Because you turn to me, it doesn't mean everything is just going to be perfect all of a sudden and I'm going to fix every problem that you have. But what's going to happen is you're going to be in my presence. I will be present with you, and I'll show you how to walk through this. And as you walk through this, I'll just say, hey, turn right here. Now no, turn left here. No, wait, wait right here for a moment. And I will be your teacher. The key element is I'll be with you. Now you're not working against me. You're working with me, and I'll be with you. And as we do that, that process, by the way, is called sanctification. As we do that, as we turn to the Lord, as we repent from our idols, and we look for his guidance and direction, and we confess our issues, and we repent from them, he grows us into the image of his son. He makes us more like him. Okay, And then the third step. What's the third step? Then we we cast off our idols. You know what? We realize after going through this process to some level or another, we, we go, you know what? I don't need that. That thing is just a lie. That thing is just empty. Apart from God, that thing has really no value. It might be a good thing that I can enjoy and fellowship with God, but when I use it apart from him and stubbornly resist his Holy Spirit, it becomes such a destructive thing. But as we turn to him, we realize that we just don't need that anymore. And the reason why I emphasize the order here is because oftentimes we try to reverse this order. We think what we need to do is clean ourselves up first, and then we can go to God. You know, first we need to try to get rid of these idols that we know are bad. Once I've successfully gotten rid of this idol, then I can go to God and be received in good standing because I've gotten rid of this idol. But that is the gospel turned upside down. The gospel is you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're blowing it, we're stubborn children. But the moment we confess that, the moment we cry out to God and say, God, I need help. I need your salvation. He is quick to extend his mercy, to forgive us of all unrighteousness, to make us clean and pure, and then begin this process of instruction and challenge and growing us and making our character more and more like Christ. And as that grows, we start to go, this thing is stupid. This rickety old stupid little bobble is ridiculous. I don't need this thing. And we just discard it. We get rid of it. That's the gospel, and that's the Christian life. But that legalistic approach wants to turn it around the other way. We want to try to be like, be the good boy, be a good girl, and do the right thing, and then maybe God will, will be happy with us. But that's turning the gospel upside down. All right, so what's the conclusion of all this? I'm going to just wrap this up with verse 23. And he will give rain for the seed with which you sow the ground and bread the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plenteous. In that day, your livestock will graze in large pastures and the oxen and donkeys that work the ground will eat seasoned fodder, which has been winnowed with shovel and fork. Okay, 
none of us are farmers, but if you're a farmer, you'd realize, okay, things have gotten so good that we're feeding the livestock the best grain that's been winnowed, the choicest grain, the stuff that you would preserve for you, humans, we're actually giving it to the animals because things have gotten so good. And on every lofty mountain and every high hill, there will be brooks running with water. In the day of the great slaughter, when the towers fall, that's an allusion to the world system that sets itself up against God, okay? Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as a light of seven days. In the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the inflicted, heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. All right, so this is very end times language. This is a very apocalyptic language. And what God's saying here is, look, there's coming a day. You're in this process. You're being sanctified. And there's coming a day when I'm going to consummate all things. At the return of Christ, I will consummate all of this. And we will move into the eternal kingdom. And we won't need the sun or the moon because the light of God himself will be our light, okay? And that expresses the close intimacy that we will have with God, okay? When all of this is done, Izzy and I were talking just before service, and we were just talking about how, you know, couldn't have God, when things went south, couldn't have he just rolled this whole, crumpled this whole thing up and then just built a new, whole new world and a whole new set of people, right? I mean, he did it in seven days. What's the big deal? He just start all over again. Why, why do you not do that? And I think part of the answer is right here. I think that part of the answer is, look, you are worth it. You're fully saved, sanctified, eternal soul is worth all the pain and suffering of this world. Your person, your spirit is worth God giving his only begotten son and suffering humiliation from his own people God in the flesh, so that you could be redeemed and made perfect and live and dwell in heaven for all eternity in the very presence of God. I would say that's worth our repentance. I would say that's worth us going, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to start with being honest and saying, look, you know what, I'm hanging on to something I shouldn't be hanging on to. And today I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't think I have the power to do it. But I'm just saying today, I am deciding and I am determining that I'm going to look to you. I'm going to turn my face to you. I'm going to orientate my posture to you and turn away from this thing and say, Lord, give me your mercy. Give me your grace. Give me your salvation once again. Father, let me feel that and then show me and teach me how to walk in your path, how to walk differently, how to have blessing and fulfillment and joy and fellowship the way you've designed it to be, which is the best way to have it, right? That is worth our repentance. That is worth us putting our side, our stubborn will, our arrogance that we think we know the better way, or our fear that we think we have no hope, and say, Lord, I'm going to hope in you. I'm going to trust in your ability, your capability, and submit ourselves to him and allow him to teach us along the way, knowing that one day we will be here. We will enjoy him for heaven. Amen. If we not, if we choose not, if we deny his salvation and we withhold ourselves from him, what do we have to look forward to? Verse 27, Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger and in 
thick rising smoke. His lips are full of fury, and his tongue is like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream that reaches up to the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of destruction and to place on the jaws of the people's bridle that lead astray. You shall have a song as in the night when a holy feast is kept and gladness of heart as when one steps out to the sound of the flute to go to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. And the Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard and the descending blow of his arm to be seen in furious anger and a flame of devouring fire with cloudbursts and storm and hailstones. This is apocalyptic language. The Assyrians will be terror-stricken as the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod. And every stroke of the appointed staff that the Lord lays on them will be to the sound of tambourines and lyres. Lyre, I can't say that word. Battling with brandished arm, he will fight with them. For a burning place has long been prepared. Indeed, for the king it is made ready, its pyre made deep and wide with fire and wood in abundance. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of sulfur, kindles it. So we all have a choice. Will we choose our stubborn self-will and suffer discipline? Or will we repent and choose the Lord and embrace him and enjoy him now, grow up in him now, and enjoy him for all of eternity? Or as an unbeliever, will we say, I don't believe. I want my own way. I'm going to have my own way. And that's just it and suffer for eternity in hell. I mean, that's a stark choice, is it not? And I think for most of us in the room, we are believers. For almost all of us in this room, I believe we love the Lord, we trust the Lord, but we still have areas where we can get stubborn, can we not? We still have things that we want to hold on to. We have relationships, we have things, we have stuff that we want to hold on to, and the Lord's saying, you need to let that go. But we don't know how, we don't have the power to, or we think we're so great, we don't need to. Yeah, God is saying, look, I'm going to keep putting the pressure on and it's going to build and it's going to build and it's going to build. And one day that sucker is going to pop and it's nothing but destruction and loss for you. Not saying you're going to lose your salvation, but you're going to suffer loss. Paul says, for some of us, when we walk by faith, it results in precious stones and precious metals for all of eternity. And when we walk stubbornly, when we're not walking by faith, in the here and the now, it's wood, hay, and stubble, and it's just burned up, and we're saved into eternity as through fire. You know, some of us are going to come there, we'll be there, and we'll, you know, I think my wife will have like an amazing tiara and beautiful crown and all this stuff, and I'll probably be patting out the smoke as I, as I cross over the threshold. I'm like, thanks for saving me, Lord. Praise God. And we all have our areas, do we not? But are you willing to repent? Is it worth it to repent and submit yourself to the Lord? He loves you. He just can't wait to extend his mercy and grace to you. You just need to let it go. Repent. Turn to him. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for your love. I thank you so much for your patience. God, I also thank you for your discipline, God. I know in my life there has been major change because you love me enough to discipline me. You love me enough to give me some tough consequences, some pretty painful consequences, Father, so that I might repent and turn to you. God, help us to repent soon, Father. Help us to turn to you quickly, just as quickly as you 
are ready to extend mercy to us, God. Help us to turn quick, Father, not to wait, not to wait for all the harm and breakdown, God, but to turn to you quick, to let that thing go, to turn to you and embrace your love. In your son's name, amen.